Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. But if you're ready to level up your life and get results that truly matter in your health, business, mindset, and relationships, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome to Sheer Madness, where we have unscripted, real conversations with the world's top athletes, entrepreneurs, and coaches. Discover real-world and tactical advice from the best in the business. Let's go. Hey everyone, my name is Rachel Shear and welcome to the Sheer Madness podcast, where we have unscripted, real conversations with the world's best athletes, entrepreneurs, and coaches. Today I have on an incredible guest for you. He's the founder and CEO of Fit Body Bootcamp, twice listed on Entrepreneur Magazine's 500 fastest growing franchises in the world. He is known as the hidden genius behind many of the top businesses, entrepreneurs, and personalities where he helps create highly profitable and industry dominating brands and businesses. An immigrant from a communist country turned highly successful entrepreneur and high achievement coach. He uses his platform to share his story, inspire audiences worldwide to reach their fullest potential in business and in life. So I'd like to welcome Bedros Koulian. Bedros, thank you so much for coming on here today. Thank you so much, Rachel. Good to be here. Yeah, so I met you earlier last last year mm-hmm. at Todd Abrams Mastermind, and I got to hear a little bit about your story during that time, but I love the story of everything that you've had to go through as being an immigrant, coming to the United States, coming from nothing, not even yeah. ha- knowing how to speak English, and to the incredible empire that you've built today. So I want to dive into that story sure. a bit. Yeah, so the... Best way to describe it for your audience is I always say I'm the immigrant edge and the American dream. And the reason I say the immigrant edge is um, uh, about 10 years ago, one of my videographers, we were making some videos and he goes, man, you know, you've just got this immigrant edge about you. And I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, you'll find an industry that you think you can dominate. You don't know anything about, but you'll go in it and you'll just, you know, go all in and, and you end up dominating. That's that's such a immigrant mindset. I go, well, I guess it comes from just having nothing when we came to the United Mm -hmm. States. So my story really is um, in 1980, I was six years old. My dad decided that we're going to escape communism. So we were, uh, we lived in Armenia. That's where I was Mm -hmm. born. And uh, myself and my mom, dad, older brother, older sister, family of five, we escaped into Italy from Italy, went into the, uh, uh, the American consulate in Italy and after getting our paperwork straight, we legally entered the United States as political refugees because my dad was a member of the Communist Party and he didn't want to be. And while my dad brought us here to freedom, he kind of underestimated one thing, which was the amount of money we needed and we needed to understand the language and the culture. Like he didn't think past escaping the Soviet Union. He was just like, if we can get into the United States, we'll be good. Uh, unfortunately, he had, I think, a couple hundred dollars cash with him, US dollars. And um, really no understanding of the language yeah. or the culture. So we grew up in, I grew up in Section 8 housing, which is government-assisted housing. We um, would find dumpsters behind grocery stores where they would throw away old expired food that they couldn't sell. And so that's how we survived the first almost full year of um, you know, food that we found in the dumpsters. It wasn't like half-eaten sandwiches or anything. It was certainly expired food that couldn't sell and still edible. And so we would eat it. But it was a really tough upbringing. And then you add the fact that we were broke and I was a foreigner, so I had a funny haircut and my mom dressed me funny. And so you could imagine how kids would bully me. 
But all of that adversity, growing up without having a Christmas the first few years, uh, you know, eating out of dumpsters, moving from one Section 8 housing complex to another, so I went to three elementary schools, two junior highs. It really started to build a lot of my, what I now realize are my superpowers because mm -hmm. I would move around so much that it didn't matter what apartment complex we moved to, by the next day, I had friends. And if I went to a different school, by the next day, I would build a rapport and have friends because I didn't know how long I was going to be around before we moved again. And so people are like, well, man, it really is a bummer that you moved around so much. And I realize, well, it was, but that also helped me with the superpower of being able to build relationships quickly, which helps me as an entrepreneur now. Yeah. And being a good communicator, which is amazing to me, given the fact that English isn't even your first language. Mm -hmm. And now you speak all over the world and you're probably a better communicator than most Americans even are today. So yeah. I did make it my goal to like, I wanted to get rid of my accent and then I wanted to be able to really string words together where I can communicate a message well. And, um, thankfully I've been able to do that and it's just such, such a great blessing for me. Yeah. So you talk a bit about how this became your superpower. And one thing I always talk about is how it is our past, our trauma and the things we walk through that almost gives us an advantage mm -hmm. later on in life and kind of creates that mindset and that drive. Would you say your upbringing and the bullying and everything you went through at such a young age created your drive to create something of yourself and to build what the empire is that you have today? Oh, absolutely. Without a doubt. Like every Every adversity comes with a seed of yeah. advantage. You know, that that's a given. I think oftentimes when we are experiencing hardship and adversities in our life, mm -hmm. we're too overwhelmed to look for this seed of opportunity and advantage in it. It's only after the fact that we go, man, you know, that bad thing that happened to me two years ago, had it not happened, I wouldn't be where I am today. I mean, how often do we say that as people? Well, the reality is I look back and you know, moving here, getting bullied, not having enough money uh, to, to like, like one of the times I got lice because the Section 8 housing that we lived in was just so dirty and we couldn't afford lice treatment. My mom and dad couldn't afford it. So my mom had my dad siphon out gasoline from a parked car and she washed my hair with gasoline. Like if wow. that is not an act of resourcefulness yeah. and how often does Tony Robbins say that it's not the person who has the resources that wins, he says it's the person who's resourceful. Like I saw resourcefulness from my mom and dad when I was a tiny little kid and that left an, an imprint on me. So while the washing of my hair with gasoline was pretty damaging, the seed of opportunity and advantage was don't have the resources to buy the lice treatment, get resourceful and siphon out gasoline. So it was definitely a massive advantage for me and uh, you know, for that I'm very grateful for. Yeah, yeah, I think that's pretty incredible. There's always like two different perspectives. And I think we even talked about this um, the other day about like how some people just live in this situation of like my father was an alcoholic, therefore I'm an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. And they just kind of get stuck in that and the patterns just keep repeating themselves over and over again. Um, but actually it is the trials that you walk through that actually can be one of the best things that happened to you and create um, the character that you develop over time. So yeah. I think that's that's an incredible story. How did you end up getting involved then in the fitness industry? So that's a bit of a funny story. Um, I wasn't really meant to go into fitness, if you want to be honest here. And um, throughout high school, I so 
throughout high school. Let's be honest. Throughout elementary school, junior high, and high school, I was a pretty chubby, overweight kid. So as, as my parents brought me here, they weren't like, hey, son, go play sports, go get active. You know, it was just, all right, we're here now. They're going to work their butt off mm-hmm. to make us money. And so I was living off cereal and grilled cheese sandwiches and just really bad food. And so I'd gotten... I. Pretty, eating whatever you could yeah. what was available. Yeah. yeah. So when you grow up that way, that kind of stays your pattern, mm-hmm. right? And so by um, junior year, so 11th grade of high school, I was like, oh, crap, you know, prom is coming next year. And I want to ask this girl, her name was Nakai. I still remember her name. I wanted to ask her out to the prom. And so in science class, there was a football player who was my, my lab partner. And I would have never, like, I was such a pariah that during lunchtime, in high school, I would just walk around the quad because I didn't fit in with the athletes. I didn't fit in with the band geeks. I didn't fit in with the the, the people that wore the black trench coats, mm-hmm. whatever they were, the gothic people, right? The gothic kids. <laughs> I didn't fit in with anyone. So I would just walk around the quad hoping that lunch would end so I could just disappear into a classroom again. Um, but in science class, I had one friend and the only time he was my friend was in science class because then he'd hang out with the jocks. And uh, he was the center of the high school football team. His name is Dave. And, I, and, and Dave was kind enough because I asked him to. I was like, hey, man, you work out. You're in great shape. Can you just show me how to work out? I'll work out all summer. I'll come back senior year in better shape. And so he took me to the school gym, which was the most intimidating place I had been in at that time. You've mm-hmm. got like these young studs who are just squatting and benching and deadlifting and you know, growling and slamming the weights. And I was like, okay, I don't belong here. But I stuck with it because he encouraged me to. Worked out like a beast all summer. Tried to clean up my diet the best I could by reading Mm -hmm. muscle magazines. It wasn't like I got like a nutrition coach or anything. (laughs) I I wish I even knew what one was like you, right? I I suppose I could have even afforded one anyway. But, you know, when you're young, your body changes very quickly. So I came back senior year like in great shape. I had more confidence, higher self-esteem. Yet I didn't ask out Nakaya because I just didn't. No, you didn't? <laughs> no. no? Didn't so ask I, her to prom? No. So I never went to prom. Okay. But all I wanted to do after high school was now I was locked on to something new and it wasn't Nakaya anymore. It okay. was when I'm done with high school, I want to get certified as a personal trainer and help more people achieve what I got. Like this confidence, the self-esteem, the weight loss, the like take control of myself, right? Yeah. I felt so empowered losing that weight and getting strong. So I got certified and of course um, I became a personal trainer in a big box gym while I worked two side jobs mm. because I couldn't get enough clients fast enough. So I worked two side jobs. Uh, one was as a bouncer and the other one was a fry cook and bus boy at Disneyland to support my passion, which was being a personal trainer. Yeah. So how did you realize that fitness was your passion? It, I think that's a question that a lot of people have is trying to figure out what their passion is. You know, maybe it's something that they're good at. Yeah. Um, but it uh, oftentimes we want our passion to be associated with our job as well, too. And mm-hmm. I think for some it can be, but sometimes it may not be around your job. So was it realizing when you lost a lot of the weight and that you just wanted to help people that you found that that was your passion and you wanted to do that long term or what was the moment that you realized that that really was your passion and what you wanted to do for the rest of your life yeah it was it was two events one exactly what you said when i lost the weight and i saw how much i changed not just physically but confidence i was making eye contact with people actually talking and i realized Mm -hmm. the kids around the quad weren't the problem i was i was just looking at my feet walking around in circles once I came back senior year, those same kids who I thought were ignoring me, 
I felt confident enough to like, yeah. hey, what are you guys doing? Can I hang out with you? So I gained the self-esteem. I gained the confidence. And I was like, I want to help more people do that. The second way I realized this was my not only passion, but my purpose on this planet was to serve people through coaching mm -hmm. was I was willing, if I had to take on 10 more side jobs just to train people for free, I would have trained people for free in a gym. So I was excited about waking up at four in the morning to get to my first client by 5 a.m. and deal with the morning breath and deal with them saying, you know, I don't want to be here and I'm too sore, it's too sweaty. I was like, don't worry, I got you. We're going to have an awesome workout because I'm going to motivate you. I would have trained them for free and I would have had 10 more side jobs just to be able to train clients. So I realized if I'm willing to do this for free, and I want to serve people like I just need to figure out now how I can get paid for it. Mm -hmm. And that's when I realized if I can get so good at what I do, people will pay for it. And here we are 20 some odd years later, my friend Tom Bilyeu, uh, you know, co-founder of Quest Bar says, there's always room at the top for the very best. And I realized that I got so good in that gym. It was the LA Fitness that I worked in. I got so good that people were literally lining up to train with me because I decided I'm going to be so good. You became an expert in mm -hmm. the field, yeah. The people were willing to pay me now, so then I, could, mm -hmm. then I was able to quit my two side jobs. That's awesome. Yeah. That's incredible. So when you talk about having low self-esteem, um, do you attribute it to just the physical transformation? Um, one thing I like to talk about with a lot of my clients is even though we may transform our body, we may lose weight, but oftentimes the mental transformation that we make in the process is even far greater than yeah. just the physical transformation that we make. And it's it goes back to just creating a commitment and following through with that again and again and again. And that more often develops the confidence and the ability to believe in ourselves and the high self-esteem mm -hmm. versus even just the weight loss in general. That's exactly right. And you know, we always talk, we hear the word empowerment, mm -hmm. right? Like, gosh, I want to be empowered. I want to help empower people. I want to inspire people. Well, the easiest way to feel empowered is to make a promise and keep a promise to yourself. Yeah. And previous to that, I may have told myself I'm going to wake up early and work out, but I didn't know how to work out. So I wouldn't wake up early and I wouldn't work out. So the, con the opposite of losing confidence or the opposite of gaining confidence is losing confidence. And mm -hmm. you do that by making a promise that I'm going to do something and then you don't do it. Mm -hmm. Right? Like for example, Hey Rach, uh, I'm going to meet you in the gym first thing tomorrow morning. And then I text you and I'm like, Hey, you know what? Go on your own. I'm not going to show up. I'm eroding my confidence and credibility yeah. in myself. And so I realized I was so into fitness. I loved working out so much that I would literally set my alarm and not hit the snooze button. And that was the first time in my life that I was, so I was like, wow, I made a promise to myself, I'm gonna wake up at this time, and I did, without hitting the snooze button. I showed up to the gym and I worked out hard. And because I worked out hard, I told myself I'm gonna eat clean all day, and I eat clean all day. So all these micro promises that I made myself over the day, and then you stack those days on top of each other in weeks and months, et cetera, turns out making a promise and keeping a promise to yourself helps build your confidence because yeah. you buy credibility with yourself. Yeah, and you rebuild that reputation with yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the biggest problems I run into with my clients. I mean, I can hand them over even a perfect nutrition plan and say, like, if you follow this plan, you will lose weight and you will get results. But, you know, they'll follow it for a week, yeah. two weeks. They come back in. They're not getting the results. And they're like, oh, I just, you know, I didn't feel like it. I just, right. you know, 
whatever excuse and their why usually isn't stronger than their excuse. Right. So oftentimes the reason why you're doing something behind it has to be stronger. And I like to talk about it as like your why identity. So it has to be associated mm. with your identity. Um, and like, if you just want to lose weight so I can look better in a bikini, you know, that might be a starting point. Like for you, you know, wanting to ask the girl and look better right. so you could go to prom, you know, that was a starting point. But I think it developed over time into something much deeper yeah it and, really did it became my identity I yeah. mean, you, you nailed it like it became my identity where on the even today i'm 45 years old on the days that i don't work out i don't feel as confident i don't feel as energetic and so i've got a rule for myself that i won't go more than 24 hours without working out and mm -hmm. since yesterday was a travel day out here and i didn't get a workout in after this tonight i'm going to go work out that, that's it it's a non-negotiable because yeah. it's part of my identity yeah. What are some other non-negotiables that you have in your day-to-day -day routine? All right. So uh, <laughs> it's, it's, I'm going to preface these non-negotiables okay. by saying I'm super busy these days. So when you're running yeah. a massive franchise, we've got near 800 locations worldwide of our Fit Body Bootcamp franchise. And, and I have speaking uh, gigs and opportunities and stuff. So some non-negotiables for me are I'll, I'll never wash my car. I'll never go into a grocery store. I don't take the dry cleaning or pick up the dry cleaning. I, um, I, I, don't, I don't go out and get a haircut. And, and Jason Redmond, who's sitting right there, like he was in my office, uh, I don't know, a few weeks ago, and my barber comes and cuts my hair in my office while I'm having meetings uh, because I have to batch process things. So I just won't go and get yeah. a thing done. Everything has to come to me. And I made those things non-negotiable because I realized if my goal is to serve society through coaching and through fitness, and every minute that I take away from coaching and my franchise is a minute stolen from my purpose, yeah. right? So getting in the car, driving to the barbershop, waiting, et cetera. I'd rather just wait until he comes to me, sets up. I'm sure we pay a little bit more. I don't even, by the way, I don't, I don't write checks anymore. I don't write, I don't know my assistant pays for it, obviously with my money. But those are the things that I won't even waste time in giving a credit card. It's just a, a routine setup where she pays him ahead of time, et cetera. And if people set up more non-negotiables like that for them, and mm -hmm. maybe maybe it's not where you have someone doing a grocery shopping for you or taking your dry cleaning for you or having your car washed for you, and, but there are plenty of things. Like, think about this. With Grubhub or Uber Eats, um, if you're going to go to Chipotle and get dinner or lunch, could you work a little longer on your passion, on your purpose, and have it Grubhubbed over to you? Because if you can... That's an additional 30 minutes that you work on your purpose. That's another three to five people that you could have helped. That's another few hundred dollars or a few thousand dollars, depending on what your time is worth, that you could have used instead of getting in the car, driving the Chipotle, getting the food, coming back. So find ways to make the, what I call the trivial things in your life, non-negotiable. So I only work on the most important things. Anything that's trivial, I either outsource or automate. And I think it goes back to just focusing on the things that are most important to you, your purpose, mm -hmm. your family, relationships. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with that quite a bit. They struggle with finding balance. And we all try to attain perfect balance. I don't think it's 
realistic that we will always be able to find perfect balance. No. You're starting a new business. You're going to put a little bit more focus into that. Like perfect balance is unattainable, but I think the striving for uh, balance should always be a pursuit that we're looking for. So um, what are some ways that you try to have somewhat of balance or you like try to focus your time on from family? Cause obviously you travel mm -hmm. so much. What are some things that you've done that has helped you kind of allocate your time? That's a good question. And so, I've kind of reframed balance into what I call a work-life mix okay. because if you're an entrepreneur and those that are entrepreneurs or uh, super high-level athletes realize that they have to commit an, an, an ungodly amount of time into their craft, whether it's their sport, into their entrepreneurship, into whatever, to become the 1%. Mm -hmm. Like if you want to be part of the 1% in any category of life, there is no balance in your yeah, life. It's not perfect balance. Yeah, yeah. it's a work-life mix. And so there'll be plenty of times where I have a speaking gig somewhere and I'll take my son with me if it's in New York and I'll speak. And then we'll spend two days in Manhattan together and we'll see the Statue of Liberty and we'll do the, the Empire State Building and we'll have a nice delicious pizza and then come back. And so it's a work-life mix. There's no other alternative where balance is concerned if you're a one percenter in life. Yeah. Um, now, having said that, if you don't necessarily want to go all in on any pursuit, whether it's athletics or whether it's entrepreneurship or whatever, then you ought to try and strive, strive, get a balance in your life. There's certainly a valid argument towards balance. Yeah. But anyone who's like, man, I know I'm meant to do this thing and I'm supposed to do it better than anybody else in the world, I urge you, forget about balance and just yeah. try and make it a work-life relationship. And, and, and that's what this is. Like this trip to Dallas, Texas. So I'm, I'm from California. This trip to Dallas, Texas for me is literally uh, this podcast with you, a, an opportunity to speak today to veterans about entrepreneurship, tomorrow to our uh, Texas-based franchisees. And then on Monday, I have a business deal to run. So I batch process three or four things just so I can get them all done in this one thing. And then when I go home, it'll be a Monday since I haven't seen my kids. They know that as long as they keep a 3.8 GPA or higher, they can take two days off from school. And we've talked to the school. So mm -hmm. a weekend for us will be Tuesday, Wednesday. And so that'll be a weekend with the family instead of an actual weekend. Yeah. So that's the work-life mix that I'm talking about. Yeah. And then focusing on those non-negotiables, like yeah. you said. So like obviously health and fitness is very important for you. That's a non-negotiable, something that you have to do every single day. And that should be the foundation. And I think oftentimes entrepreneurs, like we neglect our health. We mm -hmm. neglect our fitness and nutrition and striving to work so much more, but really like we need to have a strong foundation to build upon in order to have a successful business and in order to do all those things. I think we talked about that earlier this year. We did a little bit of a phone call on why fitness and nutrition is essential for entrepreneurs success. So yeah. yeah, I agree 100%. I want to talk a little bit about imperfect action versus waiting for the perfect time. Sure. So I heard you talk about that in uh, your book, actually, Man Up. Yep. And that was something that actually resonated with me quite a bit. Um, when I started as a nutritionist, um, I did not wait for the perfect time to open a nutrition practice. I actually started doing nutrition consulting in a Starbucks. I was working for a physician. I was just doing one-on-one -on -one for him. I was working for somebody else. I didn't even want to go the entrepreneur route. But um, I was at the gym one day and a girl was like, hey, can you help me with nutrition? You look great. You know, you're an example of it. Can you help me? And I was like, well, I don't really do that. But um, I guess I could. You want to meet in a Starbucks. So I just ended up meeting a girl in Good a Starbucks. 
and um, we she got good results, you know, and it was just in a Starbucks. We did a 12-week plan. She lost a ton of weight, and then she started referring and referring, and after that, um, you know, I started getting more and more clients, more referrals, and I was like, well, I kind of need a location. I can't just meet people in Starbucks all the time. Um, I ended up renting a location and just borrowing it. Um, clients kept building up. Eventually, I was able to quit my job working for the physician as his nutritionist, and I had built up a whole base of clients when I was moving into actually having my own nutrition practice. So I love that you talk about imperfect action because if I would have waited for the right time, I don't even think I would have ever gone that route or I would right. have even taken the step into having my own nutrition practice, but I just went for it. So um, talk a little bit about that for me. Yeah. So the only time real perfection exists is yeah. when you're planning, right? So like if I'm planning a new business, if I'm planning my fitness program, I'm going to say, well, I'm going to work out five days a week. It's going to be at 8 a.m. and I'm going to eat this way. And on the planning paper that you're doing or in the planning room or on the marker board, that's perfect. Mm-hmm. And then what happens outside of all that is reality. And what happens where you have a kid and your kid is throwing up all night, so you didn't sleep, so now you have to sleep a little longer, so you're working out at 10 a.m. instead of 8. You have to do that. So really, if we're always waiting for perfect, meaning I have to get all the information, I have mm -hmm. to make sure I understand everything about the human body and human nutrition and exercise form, oh my gosh, I'm still learning. I've been in the fitness industry yeah. for going on 30 years and I'm still learning. Like what makes me think that I have to have all the perfect answers before I can start? So I think most people use the search for I'm waiting for the perfect time as a way of procrastination. Yeah, as an excuse. Yeah. What we need to do is just realize I have enough now that I can take imperfect action and then I will correct and improve as I go. Okay. So in the absence of perfection, we should lean towards action because perfection doesn't really happen. It's just, yeah. it only happens on paper. That's yeah. it. Yeah. It doesn't exist. Right. You know, it's even like with nutrition. Um, it's like the 80, 20% rule. I'm not perfect with my nutrition, but I get pretty damn good results by if I can hit the gym most days of the week and then I can eat good, I can still allow myself a little bit of leeway to enjoy foods, a glass of wine here and every now and then. So it's not about being perfect all the time. Mm -hmm. And so I definitely, I love that. So how did you transition then from being a personal trainer to building what you currently have today to speaking on stages all over the world? Yeah. Yeah. That was a funny transition. And again, perfect example of what I was planning is my perfect plan, which was mm -hmm. to uh, start my own gym, my own personal training studio. I had a client, his name is Jim Franco. He was kind enough to kind of coach me and mentor me in business. And he said, uh, you know, if you need to borrow money, I'll let you borrow money. You can pay me back with interest and you can start your first personal training studio. So my plan was to have a handful of personal training studios throughout San Diego County. And these wouldn't be like big gyms, you know, tiny little studios where we do one-on-one -on -one mm -hmm. personal training. And of course, that was my perfect plan. Unbeknownst to me, there was this other company coming through San Diego and they were buying up personal training businesses like mine. They made me an offer that I couldn't refuse. There goes my perfect plan because it was such a great offer to buy my business out. So I sold my businesses and I started coaching and consulting personal trainers because mm -hmm. that was right around 2001, 2002, where the internet's coming about now. And, you know, I was like, gosh, I wonder if I could start teaching personal trainers what I do with how I opened up five personal training studios. And so I started coaching and consulting and I really enjoyed that. And now my perfect plan was, well, this is going to keep happening for the rest of my life, I'm just going to coach and consult the fitness industry. Well, guess what? Then the economy crashed. 
I didn't plan for that in my in my perfect yeah. plan, right? And so the economy crashed and all these personal trainers said, Bedros, I am losing clients because they can't afford to work with me because the economy crashed. And of course, when a personal trainer loses clients, they stop paying me to consult them. So I go, holy crap, I need to do something. And so right around 2009, I came up with this idea, what if we took the outdoor boot camp that people are doing in parks and bring it indoors? And so by 2010, we launched our first fit body boot camp inside of a gymnastic center. Like I was so unsure if it was going to work or not. I didn't want to like rent or lease a building. So I went to a lady that owned uh, all-star gymnastics in Costa Mesa, California. And I said, Hey, look, you don't have kids doing gymnastics in here in the morning. Right? She goes, Nope. I said, can I pay you $500 a month and let us just run a fitness boot camp in here and like we'll an just indoor boot camp. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I said, you know, we'd bring some dumbbells and we'll bring furniture sliders because they have that carpet bonded foam. So yeah. the furniture sliders slide oh, yeah, perfectly on those. And in fact, if you look inside of a Fit Body Bootcamp location these days, we still give a nod to our heritage, which was the gymnastic centers because our flooring is carpet bonded foam. It's just no longer blue like the gymnastic centers. It's a, it's a grayish black color. But all that said, I realized, gosh, now we can train people indoors, which means we can do boot camps worldwide, no matter the weather and mm -hmm. et cetera. And instead of charging six to $800 a month for one-on-one -on -one training, because one-on-one training is pretty yeah. expensive, we can now charge $150 a month and do one-on-many. And so make personal training in a group environment more affordable and convenient. And so by 2012, we turned it into a franchise. And here we are 2019 uh, with uh, 800 plus lo locations and it's just this massive growth that we're experiencing. And with growth comes growing pains, but I wouldn't change it for the world because my perfect plan was just to have five personal training studios yeah. until I got bought out and then I started coaching and then the economy crashed. And so really the perfect plan is learn to constantly pivot. To pivot. Pivot. Yes. Yeah. So you had no idea it was going to grow into no. what it is now that was completely out of no your plan. Okay. I just wanted to be able to literally replace the money that I was making with my from my coaching business. Mm -hmm. I thought maybe there'll be 40 or 50 Fit Body Boot Camp locations around where I'm teaching gym owners, trainers how to kind of train, change their model mm -hmm. from one-on-one -on -one to group. Little did I know that I would literally start what is now the boutique group training franchises that you see out there. Yeah. Yeah. So one thing I remember you talking about um, at the Icon Meals Mastermind mm -hmm. was the difference between being self-employed to being an entrepreneur to being an empire builder. Yeah. Um, I really want to hear about what the difference is between that. I think most people, it's like a level, correct? Mm -hmm. Where they start out as a, being self-employed, they go more into the entrepreneur level. The ultimate goal is to have the whole empire, which is Correct. ultimately what you've created. Um, tell me a little bit about the differences between those yeah, two. Yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad you asked that because yeah. so many people who want to become entrepreneurs, and make no mistake about it, you know, if you're self-employed, if you're your only one employee, you are an entrepreneur. But I always look at it this way. Well, instead of having a job, you own a job. Yeah. Which means that if you That's have a cold. That's the first step, of It is the first step. But if you get a cold, if you get a flu, if you want to take a vacation – you're going to have to shut down the store, right? Or the business yeah. income stops. And so people who are kind of going from having a job to getting self-employed, that phase you have to go through so fast, make sure that you can get your first second employee as quickly as possible. So you can buy back your time and win the freedom to be able to go on a vacation, to get sick. If you have to get sick, 
And, and so that's that first phase. The next one, obviously, is now you're an, an entrepreneur, which means you probably have three, five, eight, ten employees, which is great. Mm -hmm. You're managing your business. You're seeing growth. You're seeing opportunity. And where the empire builder is, is someone who goes, all right, well, I've got clients and I've got employees and we're growing. What else do my clients need? How else can I serve them? For example, what we found with our Fit Body Bootcamp franchise is, all, you know, we have millions of people working out at Fit Body Bootcamp every morning, yet they were going to go buy their supplements at a local supplement store. We realized, well, shouldn't we be the ones providing them supplements? So we created a supplement line. And actually, speaking of Icon Meals, the reason we're out here is to see if we can partner up with Icon mm -hmm. Meals instead of telling our clients, hey, go find a meal prep company or prep your own meals. What if we can partner with Icon and actually have meals drop shipped to their house frozen where it meets their macros, meets their nutritional needs, and takes away that friction of having to do it yourself. Yes. And so you're building an empire when you're able to satisfy all of your clients or your customers' needs in exchange for money. And now you have multiple income streams from that same client. Um, like in our case, we have the gym memberships, we have the supplement sales, and we will have the, the Icon Meals sales, right? And so really building an empire means you're thinking much bigger at a larger scale. And if I could go back to my 20 year old self who wanted to be an entrepreneur, the one thing I would tell myself is think bigger sooner. And so, you know, in, at 45 now, that's, that's what I'm doing. I'm thinking bigger, faster. Yeah. You actually just answered my next question, oh. which was what I was going to ask you, what you wish you would have known when you were just starting out on your journey is, you know, just doing the one-on-one -on -one training. What, what advice would you give to somebody who is just starting out? It would be, well, so I'm glad you asked because it is a two-part answer. It's one, get a mentor. Like someone has been there and yeah. done that faster than you, right? And so get a mentor sooner and they can help you what I call time collapse. So if I know that it's going to take me six years to learn to run a franchise properly, well, what if I can hire someone? Like what if I hired uh, John Leguiziano who started Massage Envy mm -hmm. and said, hey, John, uh, here's some money. Can you help me, mentor me? Tell me what I don't know about starting a franchise so I can avoid every pitfall, every mistake that you made. And what took you 10 years could take me four years, right? That's time collapsing. And so one, hire a mentor, a coach, a consultant who's good at what they do, who's been where you want to be. Hire them sooner. I took way too long to find yeah. a mentor. And number two is obviously I would go back and tell myself, think bigger, think bigger. Mm -hmm. Every time I think, I think now these days, I always compare myself to Elon Musk. Just when I think I'm thinking bigger, I go, wait a minute, it's still not as big as Elon Musk because he's got a Tesla on a rocket on its way to Mars right now. Like that's thinking big. Like partnering up with Icon Meals and creating my own supplement line, yeah. that's not as big. So I still need to think bigger. And it's continuously growing over mm -hmm. time as well too. Do you think your purpose, and I'm kind of going back to that, but it changes over time as oh, yeah. you continue to grow with we what evolve. it is that you're wanting to do? We're humans. We go through different phases of life based on different experiences that we gain. Like, you know, the flavor of ice cream you liked when you were six yeah. years old is different than when you're 16 and 26 and 36. Like what, like your style changes over yeah. time. Like what makes us think that our calling won't change? Yeah. It might be in the same arena. Like I realize coaching is my thing. It's just when I was coaching people in the gym, it was one thing. Um, now I started coaching people in their business and started the franchise. So all of our franchisees are coaching clients. I was coaching people in business, but now I realize I'm still coaching, but now I'm coaching people in their mindset into thinking bigger. Yeah. The common denominator is I'm still coaching, but 
the flavor of the coaching that I'm delivering is completely different. So based on the phases of life you go through, your experiences will dictate a new passion or purpose. Yeah, I love that. Um, yeah, that's incredible. So what is something that's next for you? Like what are your future goals that you're looking to do? That's a good question. Talking about continuously always growing yeah. and evolving. Yeah, yeah. So I'm glad you asked that because I realized, and one thing we talked about was, you know, you said, hey, all those hardships and adversities you dealt with when yeah. you came to this country, they kind of helped mold my ability to be resourceful, to be relentless, to be resilient, to be a go-getter. Um, every adversity was a seed to an advantage that I would later get in life. Um, what I didn't talk about that I can talk about openly and honestly now because I've dealt with those scars. Uh, between the ages of four and six, I was molested by two older boys. And so when you really think about the statistics of the trauma that people have experienced, mm -hmm. one out of every four people have experienced some kind of sexual trauma, rape or molest. One out of every three people experience physical or mental trauma, abuse, right? And it doesn't matter what level of trauma, what flavor of trauma you had, that same part of your brain lights up. The fight or flight mechanism lights up. That's always on, that's always draining you, that's always exhausting you, always has you on edge, and you don't know why. And um, for 30 some odd years, I kept that hidden. No one knew, I didn't talk about it, but it was constantly a reoccurring theme in my life where I would self-sabotage, I was always angry, um, I had a chip on my shoulder. And thankfully, here's another great example of something bad happening in my life that ended up freeing me from the torture of that hidden thing about being molested as a kid. When I was 37, I started getting these anxiety attacks, really bad panic attacks, where I thought, the first one I thought was, I was experiencing a heart attack. I was like, oh crap, this is how I die. I later found out it was a panic attack and I had several more since. And when my doctor prescribed Xanax, I was like, well, I don't like taking the Xanax. I feel numb. I feel dull. So yeah. I go, what's my alternative? He said, well, go find a therapist. Go talk to a therapist. They'll help you cope with your anxieties of growing your business. What I really discovered was, as I built a relationship with that therapist, his name is Kevin Downing, I felt comfortable enough to, to kind of, I guess, tell him what happened to me as a kid. And what I thought was just gonna be a few sessions of therapy that would help me cope with my stress and anxiety ended up being 16 months of weekly visits to Kevin where we unpacked what happened to me between the ages of four and six and the shame, rage, and confusion that I carried for all those years. And I, and I share that with you because I realized so many men go through some level of trauma, whether it's sexual or physical, and as a guy, we're supposed to just shut up and just push it away. Put Don't, it in a box. Yeah. Exactly. Don't think about it. Be a macho man. Be a tough guy. And I talk about it now, and it doesn't hurt me. doesn't freak me out. doesn't make me feel any less of a man. But just four years ago, I would not have mumbled anything. And if someone said, hey, Beatrice, have you ever had any sexual trauma? Nope. I would just lie to you because it, was, it really would feel like I haven't had it because yeah. I put it so far away. So to, to, to answer your question, what's next for me is I started this thing called The Project, which is a 75-hour, very intense, full immersion for men who have experienced, who are, so it's men who are entrepreneurs and have families and have experienced some level of trauma in their life, yeah. typically undealt with, unprocessed, will bring them in for the 75-hour experience, 12 to 16 men at a time, and uh, it, it's it's run by a, a Navy SEAL, a Marine, a former SWAT um, operator myself as the entrepreneur 
and an MMA fighter. So they'll go through hand-to-hand -hand tactics and learn how to shoot a pistol and all types of hiking and ice baths, and, and they bury themselves in a, in, a, in a body bag. I mean, it gets intense. And yeah. every evolution that we do that sounds scary has a purpose for it to break them down physically, mentally, and emotionally, and to be able to rebuild them and get past their traumas. Because we also have, in addition to this, in the 75 hours, all the physical work we do, we have a lot of time at a desk filling out forms and doing a deep yeah. dive into our emotions, which most men typically don't talk about. That's why men talk about sports and cars and very superficial stuff. Yeah. You know, the weather, look, look, we don't need to talk about the weather. I can look at my phone and see on the app what the weather is. I don't need to go, how's the weather in Dallas or how's the weather in California. It's vulnerable could, to have to talk right. about that. And a lot of people fear vulnerability. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And for whatever reason, because I'm big and, and I don't look like the type of guy that would have gotten molested, yeah. and I did as a kid, and so people feel safe, men feel safe and going, well, if you can talk about it, yeah. I want to be able to address it. I want to talk about it. So this has become my newest project. In fact, it's called The Project. And, and I love it because I get to help my fellow man uh, break through the limiting belief systems, the toxic cognitions, the, the handcuffs, the mental shackles that they've had on for so long. Because mm -hmm. I saw what it did for me and I want to help these guys as well. So you're essentially getting down to that root cause, mm -hmm. which in a way is a lot of what I do as a nutritionist. So functional medicine, we're looking at the root cause. When you were dealing with a lot of these anxieties, panic attacks, yeah. we were just putting a band-aid over the issue. We right. were saying, take some medications, let's just cover it up. But what really was the issue was something internally. And you know, you said after doing a bunch of counseling, you kind of had to get down to that root cause. And I think that's what's essential as so it's too often with Western medicine, we just throw people on medication, yeah. medication is a quick fix. But really, when we look at it, you know, when people are overweight, it comes down to lifestyle choices. And it's kind of like the same thing mm -hmm. with you, medications for depression, for anxiety, but it's usually something internal going on. It could even be health related as well, too. So with your project, you're trying to really dig deep and kind of yeah. uncover those hidden layers as to why they're dealing with, you know, failures in their life, hidden anxieties, those yeah, type of things. Constant self-sabotage yeah. and Con constant arguments and constantly going back to alcohol, drugs, uh, uh, food as therapy, um, alcohol. Like there's yeah. a pattern that we see in men and men are white knuckling through life. They're suffering in silence. We're just supposed to suck it up and deal with it. And I've created an environment where for 75 hours you can come and let us beat you up yeah. physically, mentally, emotionally to get you in a safe place to talk about it. Because in that process, we beat ourselves up as instructors as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a saying that goes, uh, blood is thicker than water. You've probably heard that. It's actually not how it goes. It's the opposite. It's the, 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 the phrase says, the uh, blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. Meaning the blood, the adversity that people have shared together yeah. is thicker, is more bonding than the water of the womb, than people that were born from the same mother. And so we create that environment for these men where they can suffer together and therefore they get vulnerable together. They go through the forms together to fish out those toxic cognitions and traumas and then find their superpowers. First time in their lives, talk about these issues. And then as they leave, they work with therapists or they do what they need to do to keep healing. Do you think trauma is something you ever completely heal from or it's something you you carry around, but you just have more understanding for it and knowing certain triggers that bring those emotions back up. Yeah, so I'm not quite sure if anyone can ever completely heal from trauma. Uh, at least this is my from my own experience yeah. and from the experience that I've had with men who I've helped. 
But I do think having a better understanding of where that trauma came from, what it's done to you, what patterns it's created, you can have a better coping mechanism with it. Like I know that there's certain things that I might go through. For example, if I'm, if I'm lonely, if I'm tired, if I'm exhausted, I will begin to fall into my old patterns. And so I make sure that I am not exhausted. I don't take myself to fatigue anymore, which would then trigger off old patterns. And it's important for that to happen because if you don't know what's setting you off, you're constantly in this cycle of self-sabotage and damaging your relationships or your business or your own health. Yeah. Uh, but the moment you know that, okay, this is it, um, it's almost like a permanent scar. You're going to keep that scar with you, mm -hmm. but you have self-awareness. And because you have self-awareness, you know that, okay, well, I've got that scar. So if I move my hand this way, it hurts. So I'm just not going to move my hand that way. Now you can cope with it. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of goes back to just understanding why we've done certain things and why we've had lived a certain pattern, certain self-sabotaging habits that we've had so we can cope with them and understand and kind of detour when we're heading that direction as mm -hmm. well too. Yeah, yep. I love that. So are there any other questions that you would like people to know or that I haven't asked? No, I mean, that was yeah? pretty thorough. You're, yeah. you're so good at interviewing and you ask all the right <laughs> questions. Yeah, appreciate Well, awesome, that. thank you. Where can people find you then? Yeah, so I've got this great fascination with Instagram. I'm just very, mm -hmm. um, I'm relatively new to it, just a few years versus people who have been on there since like 2013 or whatever when it came out. Uh, so you can find me on Instagram at uh, Bedroskoolian. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, do me a favor, hit the subscribe button, share it with a friend and leave a review. I love always hearing from you guys. And this has been Sheer Madness. Thank you so much, Bedros.